BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The Ben Jarofsky Show for Thursday, January 9th is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. The International Association of Machinists and Aerospace, not Aerosmith Workers, Local 126 and District 8 sponsor this program. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, are sponsors, as well as the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. In fact, our guest today is from the Local 150. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Now the moment you've all been waiting for, the song of the day. Hit him with it, Benny. Oh, won't you play another somebody loves somebody. Wrong song. Yeah, come on, D. Will we ever get a current song of the day? Uh, no. No, because I stopped listening to music in 1979. How many times <laughs> I have to tell you that? I don't even know who Radiohead is. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. <laughs> It is Thursday, January 9th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, no, not Radiohead. In these times, writer Miles Camp Lassen is back. Union man Ed Maher will join us. And it's another guide to getting high with Lisa Solomon of the Chicago Reader. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this, oh, my beloved Democrats, Thursday. And here's why. I thought you were going to say Chicago Bulls. Oh, can we talk about how bad they are? No, we can't. Oh, they're terrible. Anyway. Welcome back, Cotter. Yes, uh, I was not here yesterday. Uh, I had to uh, miss the show because we had a reader retreat. As everybody knows, I'm a columnist, a writer from a beloved Chicago reader, have been for like 2,432 years. And we had a staff retreat yesterday to chart our future, D. It was a great time. We pl- we, d- we did a lot of serious discussion, but it was also uh, one of these things where we got to know each other. We played these games, so uh, these theater games, like Zip Zap Dob or something like that. Zip Zap Dob. You're playing? that yeah. he did, miles has played it you go zip zap dob and then he has to go zip zap zob and so you're in a big circle and if you don't say zip instead of zap you're, you're out if you point at the wrong guy you're out it's complicated anyway needless to say i was one of the first people to leave oh well as long as you're not one of the first people to leave the airwaves again you no, know what i mean no, no. still a show still a show still a show yeah so anyway it was a lot of fun and learned a lot maybe uh, at some time during the day uh, miles and i will play zip zap zob uh and, and we'll make you play as well anyway while i was gone the story broke uh about um uh, some bad doings by my beloved democratic party uh the story uh, so let's give a shout out to reporters dave mckinney and tony arnold over at uh, wbez uh allegations of wrongdoing uh by leaders of my beloved democratic party oh dems i give you my love and this is how you repay me for years and years of unrequited love day i've been voting for democrats forever this is what they do. Oh, yes. Wait, what is that in the background that I hear? It's my left of center friends, way left of center. Uh, Sam Holloway, Leonard Goodman saying, we told you, Ben. We told you, Ben. Oh, God. You know, I hate it when my lefty friends are right and I'm wrong. Anyway, all right. This particular case has to do with the ongoing investigation of House Speaker Michael Joseph Madigan, the most powerful man uh, in the state of Illinois, the most powerful Democrat, I should say, in the state of Illinois. Actually, he may not be number two. Let me just rewrite that sentence. He's now the second most powerful Dem in the state of Illinois. And falling on the charts, I'd say, it's no doubt that J.B. Pritzker is the most powerful. And now it is uh, J.B. Pritzker who runs the state. So the second, right? Yes. Uh, Michael, Joseph, two. Two. Michael Joseph Madigan is number two and maybe falling. He's doing everything he can to keep on his power, to keep his power. Uh, the story that uh, McKinney uh, and Arnold broke, uh, uh, it's a complicated one. Let me boil it down. They dug up 
through a FOIA request, apparently an email written by Mike McLean to two members of Governor Pat Quinn, our friend. Governor Pat Quinn comes to this show all the time. Oh, Pat, that, you left uh, one of your clipboards here last time you were in the studio. <laughs> now that he's not governor, folks, he's gone back to his days where he gets people uh, to direct action in government through uh, signing signatures and uh, not all kinds of petitions and stuff. Anyway, uh, Pat Quinn, when he was governor of Illinois back in 2012, Mike McLean wrote an email uh, to... That's that guy from Die Hard, right? Who's from Die Hard? Oh, that's John McLean. Sorry. Yeah, come on, Mike. Look at this microphone. Uh, anyway, uh, let yeah. me just read to you how the Sun-Times, uh, Tina Fondellas did a good job of summarizing uh, what they uh, unre- unveiled. Uh, WBEZ report on Tuesday revealed Mike McClain sent the email to two senior Quinn aides in a bid to win leniency for a worker in a disciplinary case. Are you following that, folks? It's complicated. Everything is complicated. And it's so. And reporters only have so much space to condense everything. And they, it's just really hard to follow it. But I hope you follow that. So McLean had sent an email to two senior Pat Quinn aides in a bid to win leniency for a worker, unnamed worker, in a disciplinary case. Uh, in it, in that email, McLean argued that the man that he was seeking leniency for, quote, has kept his mouth shut on Jones's ghost workers, the rape in Champagne, and other items. It's not clear what any of that is referring to, but the most sensational. Listen, ghost payrollers is one thing, but covering up a potential rape in Champagne, that's no joke, folks. That's criminal. And uh, so apparently, uh, somehow or other, it, the details have not come out, but it, essentially what they're suggesting is that uh, they were trying to bury up evidence uh, of a rape, that somebody was instrumental in burying that evidence, uh, and that that person should be rewarded for his loyalty to what? Bearing uh, to somebody who was accused of rape, he should be uh, protected for that, uh, pr- uh, rewarded for that, excuse me, by having uh, uh, investigation charges dropped against him. It's like everything they say about government, uh, the back room wheeling and dealing of government, who you know, rules don't apply to everybody. They only apply to people who don't have clout. Uh, so even something as serious as alleged rape uh, has no consequences if you know the right people. This is sort of the suggestion. These are only the details that we know. Of course, uh, when uh, uh, McKinney and Arnold went looking for comp, uh, called all the relative, all the players in the game, they all said, we don't know anything about it. We never heard anything about it. This email is uh, eight years old. Here's something you should know about the author of the email, uh, Michael McLean. Uh, He is a former lobbyist and a Michael Madigan confidant. And uh, he's under federal scrutiny as part of an ongoing investigation in the connections between Commonwealth Edison and the Madigan machine. Uh, apparently, the feds are trying to figure out, follow me on this, folks, if ComEd put Madigan Associates on the payroll in exchange for uh, their assistance or Madigan's assistance in passing favorable legislation like, I don't know, rate heights, et cetera, and so forth. Anyway, when I got back from the retreat, the reader retreat where I was feeling all good, We played those theater games. I was feeling very healthy and in connection with my fellow workers and feeling like, you know what? It's a good world. Uh, We we did zip, zap, zop and all those other kind of theater games and hugged and put our hands in the middle, said one, two, three, reader forever. I come back to the real world, Dean. What did I I see? Suggestion that my beloved Democrats were bearing up uh, allegations or an investigation of a rape. And uh, there were emails filling my email box from all kinds of Democratic politicians speaking out against it. Uh, here's one uh, tweet that went out. It was, sometimes, it was also on my uh, email box, but the Chicago Sun-Times quoted the tweet from State Representative Kelly Cassidy, good friend of the show. She hasn't been on in a while. No, she has not. You know, ever since the Sun-Times put her on the front page, called her Wonder Woman, you know, she's been kind of, I bet I'm too busy to come on your show. I am Wonder Woman. Anyway, with Elena Hampton, who did come on the show a couple weeks ago. Uh, here's- yeah, make fun of her. That'll get her back on. <laughs> KC, you know we love you. All right, here's uh, here's what uh, Kelly Cassidy and uh, Elena Hampton and Sherry Garrett as well uh, had to say. If the, report, if the reports are even partially true, this represents a conspiracy to conceal criminal sexual assault at the highest levels of state government. Yes, indeed. It's no joke, folks. It's like uh, 
bit by bit, we're peeling back this onion. We're going to see uh, what lies at the cure. Does not look good at the moment for my beloved Democratic Party. We got a great show today, everybody. Miles Conflasson will be here in these times, Ace Reporter. We're going to be talking Trump, Iran, pending war in the world, uh, Democratic politics. Miles, a huge Bernie supporter. Maybe we'll give him an opportunity to address some of the uh, points made by the Heartland Mamas. Oh, Remember okay. the Heartland Mamas? Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. They were playing. They took down some of those Bernie bros. What, what were uh, what were some of the quotes there from the Heartland Mamas about uh, people like uh, Miles Conflance? Hey, Bernie AKA bros. Bernie bros. Beep my hey. Oh, <laughs> so beep my hey. <laughs> well, the huh? hey was me saying, stop. <laughs> this is a family show. No <laughs> swearing, Heartland Mamas. Beep my hey. <laughs> beep my hey. <laughs> Uh, Ed Maher, Union Man, will be here at 2 o'clock. Union News updates and all that good stuff. Like We're looking ahead with the future. What does 2020 hold for the uh, union movement in this country? Uh, Lisa Solomon, our reefer expert. She'll be back. She was here last couple weeks ago. Very popular show. We're bringing her back. And she's got a mystery guest, D. You're kidding. No, she's bringing a mystery guest. Whoa. Yeah, whoa. Get the bong out. <laughs> Literally, because she's going to be talking about Reefer. She'll be talking a lot about Reefer. That's Dennis's favorite part of the show. Uh, and uh, so a lot of political talk ahead of us. But before we do any of that, the young man from Alton. Oh, yeah. The man they call Dr. Doobie with the news. <laughs> Not Dr. Doobie. How's it going, everybody? My name is Dennis. Let's unpack the news happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. Actually, I just lied. Because there was no show Wednesday, we need to mention two stories that happened in Chicago and or Illinois yesterday. Uh-oh, there was no pre-show prep on this. This is called a curveball. <laughs> Being a little too honest. Zip, All right, Ben. Zap, zap. We had a 2020 presidential candidate in town. I mean, I'm saying this like you didn't know because, of course, you knew. He's your favorite. Filthy rich Democrat presidential candidate Michael Bloomberg <laughs> came to Chicago Wednesday. Bloomberg's not even my top five. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> he was here to pitch his jobs plan. The former New York City mayor also made a pitch to our current Chicago mayor, Lori Lightfoot, seeking her endorsement. But hey, it ain't going to be that easy, pal. Just ask third <laughs> congressional candidate Marie Newman. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. We talked about that on Tuesday. Uh, she's against Lipinski, our mayor is, but not necessarily for Marie Newman. Come on, take a stand. <laughs> In a 25-minute speech before supporters at Olive Harvey College on the far south side, the late entrant into an already packed Democratic primary race outlined what he called, quote, candidate Trump's empty promises while also criticizing the president's handling of Iran. Here's the quote from Bloomberg, quote, in any crisis, it's imperative that the commander in chief think through all the implications of his actions uh, or her actions with the help of her or his top advisors to not act irrationally or reckless, uh, recklessly. And I certainly hope that the president does that. But unfortunately, as we all know, that's just not his nature. Ben, your thoughts, and because I know you were there, you love you some Michael Bloomberg. How was Bloomberg's speech? Well, first of all, I wasn't there. Uh, I was, again, at the reader retreat. Zip, zap, zop. Oh, okay? yeah. I bet Bloomberg will get down on some zip, zap, zop. I'll tell you what, that zip, zap, zop is harder than it looks, okay? It's hard. I, mean, I was <laughs> telling you, zip, zap, zop. I don't know what that. it is. You're going to have to explain what it is a little later. All right. Well, you know what? We'll play the game with Miles. This is the other, we'll have two Miles, Miles Porter and Miles Conflassen, and you and myself will play Zip, Zap, Zop. All right. All right. Okay. I'll explain it all then. Zip, Zap, Zop. So I uh, was not at the uh, Olive Harvey speech. Uh, in general, my attitude toward Michael Bloomberg is I welcome uh, his participation in the race, and I'll tell you why. Politics ain't no joke, D. That's correct. All right. Donald John Trump has amassed. Uh, tens of millions of dollars, and he already has an onslaught of commer of advertisements, uh, commercials, uh, particularly on social media, on Facebook. He basically dominates Facebook. He owns Facebook. And so Bloomberg is a counterattack. Bloomberg has a lot of money. He's doing this thing very unconventionally. Instead of he, he's, he's just like pretending as though there are no other Democrats in the race, and he's concentrating his onslaught of commercials against Donald Trump. So essentially what he's trying to do, he's, his basic point is that this election is all about Donald Trump. It's a referendum on Donald Trump. And so everybody who uh, – there's a lot of people out there who just don't care who the nominee is. They just want to defeat Donald Trump. And they see Bloomberg's name, and they see him. He's coming right at them with the commercials uh, that they can relate to in terms of criticizing Trump. They may just go, you know what? I'm voting for Bloomberg. He's got the money. It worked for J.B. Pritzker. 
I'm yeah. not yeah. a perfect person. Yes, but you have a lot of money and you can run a good campaign as a result. So uh, I applaud him because it keeps Trump on the defense. Why should we, them, all my Democratic friends, all my lefty friends go, Ben, too much money. Uh, it, uh, it, 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 it's dirty. Uh, it, it ruins, corrupts politics. It's corrosive. I agree with all that. But the reality, what are you going to roll, lay down and roll over? You're just going to let Donald Trump walk? to victory it's like my beloved democrats who just all oh, ben help support the fair map oh we're just gonna let the republicans take control of the state huh because we want to be fair when would republicans ever do that so the reality of the way the game is is set up and played d uh, you have to fight fire with fire and uh, bloomberg's got money he's bringing money in uh and he's keeping alive sort of the anti-trump coalition so i welcome him in the race Although I doubt I'll ever vote for him. So, yeah, Bloomberg was in town yesterday. And, yeah, he says he'll never vote for him. But maybe later, Ben will show you his uh, shirt that Bloomberg <laughs> signed for him. Oh, my God, he won't stop talking about it. 2020 uh, POTUS candidate <laughs> Bernie Sanders made the local headlines. He weighed in on the current negotiations happening between the Chicago Teachers Union and Chicago public school officials over that $25 million that was promised for the district's longest-serving teachers, the veteran teachers, all right? Mr. $27 tweeted his support for the CTU as he always does. Here's the tweet from Bernie and because I haven't done it in a while, what the hell, Ben? I was proud to stand <laughs> with at CTU Local 1 in their strike to win the school resources Chicago's student deserve. Chicago public schools must live up to their agreement, bargain in good faith, and give veteran teachers the respect that they have earned. Yeah, Bernie uh, jumped. He was here uh, when the teachers were on strike. He stood with the teachers. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to win the Chicago Teachers Union's endorsement. Uh, Stacey Davis-Gates was in the studio. When was that? Tuesday, D. And uh, she said that the union, she hadn't made a decision. She was going to follow her union on this one. Brandon Johnson, on the other hand, another uh, union leader. And, of course, the Cook County Board Commissioner has already endorsed Elizabeth Warren. So we'll see which way the teachers union goes as it goes anywhere. Uh, but uh, my guess is that uh, B uh, Bernie Sanders has a lot of support among rank and file uh, teachers. Again, he was there for the teachers uh, when they went on strike. Actually, I'm not, I think about Elizabeth Warren supported the teachers as well. I'm not sure any of the other Democratic candidates uh, for president, I can't remember if they supported the teachers. So I'm not surprised that Bernie weighs in. And uh, that that dispute is a totally in-the-weeds dispute uh, having to do with different interpretations, the union's interpretation and the Board of Education's, Lori Lightfoot's interpretation of what was promised and what, as opposed to what was put into writing with the teacher's contract. And uh, it's probably going to be adjudicated at some labor board uh, down the road. Oh, and I forgot there was one more quote from uh, Bernie there. I forgot to read. $27. <laughs> A lot of Bernie bros on the Ben Jarofsky show. A lot of Bernie bros. Hey, one will be here in about what? 15 minutes. Uh, yep, yep, one will be here in about 15 minutes. And then there's the other story from Wednesday. And this guy's becoming a guilty pleasure of mine to cover. It's Cook County Democratic State's Attorney Candidate Bill the Bro Conway. Love him. He has released another political campaign ad. This makes two ads in one week for Conway. So we clearly see a game plan here. We're more than two months away from the primary, and Conway is going hard in the paint with early online and television ads. Conway's opponent is incumbent state's attorney Kim Fox. Yes, the same Kim Fox who botched the infamous Jesse Smollett case. And yes, the same Jesse Smollett who faked his own hate crime sponsored by Subway. Allegedly faked. Allegedly faked his own hate crime. There you go. So with that hot, polarizing pile of political garbage sitting there waiting, you knew it would only be a matter of time until an opportunist rich enough to put out political ads came along and picked it all up. And that's Bill Conway. So we heard his first ad on Tuesday. It was pretty boring. <laughs> ben, what were your thoughts on that ad? Well, okay, I need some help here. Uh, you keep re referring to him as a bro, and I'm going to need a little uh, millennial help. I, I had a, f uh, a sense in my head of what a bro is. And so I said to you, okay, Conway's a bro. And you said, yes, he's very bro-y. Very bro. And I said, oh, well, what kind of music does he like? This is, this is by the way, pre-show prep by Dennis and I. <laughs> I picked him up today, by the way, folks. Long story. Tackling the tough issues today. Uh, what is a bro? So I go, D, you know, because he says, you know, Conway's a bro. 
All right, so Conway is running against uh, uh, he's running uh, against Kim Fox for state's attorney. Nobody had ever heard of him before, but he comes from uh, money. So not unlike uh, Michael Bloomberg, he can buy your attention, folks. He just hits the airwaves with all these ads. And uh, so now people, they know, they vaguely know who Bill Conway is. And so Dennis said, well, my analysis of Bill Conway is that he's a pro. And I said, Okay, I think I know what a bro is. It's kind of like a millennial term, all right? Back in my day, when dinosaurs walked to Earth, I think they called them jocks. But so I'm not quite sure if a bro is a jock. Kind of the same, yeah. yeah. So I said, well, what kind of music does he? He must listen to. And then I just folks, that's a tough uh, thing to answer. Nowadays, that's called talking and dodging. No, because rock rock music isn't really as popular as it was back in the day. So I said, uh, if he's a bro, he must listen to. And then I thought, folks, again, I'm at a disadvantage here because I stopped listening to rock music on a regular basis in 1979. I went to the only group that I could vaguely even think of that was remotely broy, and I said, Hootie and the Blowfish. And Dennis goes, no, man, bros don't listen to Hootie and the Blowfish. Maybe in the 90s. They listen to Radiohead. <laughs> and I'm like, Radiohead? A lot of bros listen to Radiohead. I never even heard of Radiohead. Miles, you ever heard of Radiohead? Yeah. Damn, Boy, we are giving way too much time to this bro thing. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know what a bro is. So what is a bro? Go figure it out. I don't know. Someone you pictured getting drunk after a Cubs game down in Wrigley Field. That's the way I look at it. Miles, is that a bro? Yeah, okay. Pretty, pretty you know right. what I mean? Uh, and early 2000s bro would listen to Nickelback. I don't know who what the Nickelback equivalent is in 2020 because, I don't know, rock isn't as popular. But anyway, this is a political talk show. Nickelback, right? Bernie? Nickelback. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Nickel- Your thoughts on that ad, by the way, from uh, Bill Conway. The original question. Oh, yeah. The, the Conway ad. Yes. That original ad, now I'm going back in my time, was a, an interesting ad because it made it seem as though Bill Conway uh, was going to be more sympathetic to the needs of people who are unfairly arrested uh, and would uh, look for justice in the system. When, in fact, the uh, backlash to Kim Fox is coming from the other side there who are accusing sort of the get tough on criminal side that are accusing her of being uh, too lenient on uh, crime, uh, criminals, alleged criminals, uh, people who are arrested, and that uh, if you that Smollett gate, uh, her her treatment of Justice Smollett is indicative of that. So you would figure that somebody running uh, against Kim Fox in this primary would would hammer on that theme. Because that seems to be the prevailing theme for people who are against her. It seems like folks who do believe uh, in a system and being uh, more fair to uh, uh, defendants and who have only been accused of crime as opposed to uh, convicted of crime, uh, people who are claiming uh, we should be more fair to them would be for Kim Fox. But he was heading, uh, he was like running it to the left of her. So it made no sense, that first commercial, I'm just saying. Unless he thought that Kim Fox was going to step down because of his investigation, in which case he would run as the, as the great liberal. But, nah. So I didn't get the commercial. Remember, D? I All right. Well, on to his latest. I think you'll get this one because this ad reminds us uh, uh, reminds us of another unflattering Kim Fox story that we knew would come back to bite her. This came out in December, the time that Kim Fox decided to keep nearly $30,000 in campaign contributions from a 2016 fundraiser hosted by the now indicted 14th Ward Alderman, a.k.a. the guy who shook down a Burger King in his ward. <laughs> Alderman Edward Burke. Let's hear what Bill the Bro has for us this time. Crack open an energy drink and give whoever's next to you a fist bump. It's the latest ad from Cook County State's Attorney Candidate, Bill Conway. Have you heard about Alderman Ed Burke's connections to Kim Fox? Burke threw a fundraiser for Fox at his house during her last campaign, raising big bucks. Then Fox turned around and settled tax cases for Burke's corporate clients. Burke and his clients made millions thanks to Fox's deals. Now she says there's nothing wrong with her keeping most of the Burke-tainted money. Burke, Fox, isn't it time to turn the page? All right. Now this is uh, a page taken straight from the Lori Lightfoot playbook. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, of course. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. 
uh, was victorious in part, a large degree, because she was able to link uh, her opponent, Tony Preckwinkle, in the runoff to Ed Burke. Nobody likes Ed Burke anymore, which is really interesting. A year ago, everybody loved Ed Burke. Right now, nobody likes him. Okay, I was curious if Bill Conway was denouncing Ed Burke, I don't know, two years ago. Think he was denouncing Ed Burke uh, two years ago? I don't think. Oh, Mr. Burke, let me shake your hand. I've always been a big fan of yours. Um, oh, great Conway That's good. <laughs> uh, Mr. Burke, did I tell you I love your suit? So uh, the only guy who was critical of Ed Burke two years ago was me. All right, you know what I'm saying? You know, guys who get fired from liberal radio stations for being too liberal. Those are the only people who get who were critical of Ed Burke then. And now it's easy to be. Everybody's critical of Ed Burke. Sort of like now, everybody's critical of Michael Joseph Madigan. And uh, isn't that interesting how that goes? When there's when there's blood in the water, oh, everybody's tough. Where are you when we need you? Anyway, uh, so yeah, it's it's uh, look. Now, this is the kind of ad that I would expect him to run. Uh, He's linking her. I'd have to take a deeper dive to see if there's any validity whatsoever to what he's talking about uh, in terms of Ed Burke's property tax cases. Again, folks, Ed Burke's for many years was a property tax lawyer. He handled appeals of uh, a lot of wealthy downtown uh, property owners got their taxes reduced uh, by appealing to the Cook County Assessor for a lower assessment, and as a result, everybody else paid more in taxes. Suckers and Saps of Chicago thought that was a okay. By the way, did, I'm just curious. Could you do a Google search and see if Bill Conway ever spoke out about Ed Burke's property tax business uh, back in, let's say, oh, 2015 or 16 or? That's a very specific thing to look up. You've got to give me time here. Yeah, negatory is what I would say on that one. So I'm just saying, okay? It's under, it's, you know, hey. It's, yeah, no, that's not on here. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. So fair is fair in politics. And uh, so that, I would say, if, uh, would be a more or less legitimate avenue of attack uh, by Conway to go after. And let me just, again, point out, he's got a lot of money, folks. So uh, you're going to hear his name a lot. There's other people running for state's attorney, by the way. Uh, Donna Moore is running for state's attorney. And uh, Bob uh, Fioretti. Your guy, Fioretti. Fioretti. And by the way, if Bob Fioretti, <laughs> my guy, uh, I do appreciate Ben's ready for Fioretti. Bob Fioretti, Ms. Alderman, I must confess, folks, helped me on uh, more than one TIFF story. So, Bob, I will always appreciate that. Uh, and uh, Bob, Bob Fioretti, when he announced he was sort of running at, at uh, Kim Fox from the right, talked about how too lenient she was uh, on letting uh, criminals go or people who were dangerous go. That was his accusation. Uh, and his lawyers are challenging her petitions. So he's doing the dirty work. Bill Conway is, you know, spending his family money running these commercials. Meanwhile, Fioretti is in court trying to get her. Uh, but wouldn't you say, I mean, that's, I mean, that is what's going on. But wouldn't you say that... Uh... Uh, old Conway here is kind of taking uh, all the credit here because he's going in public. You know, he's kind of putting himself out there as the main opponent. Yeah, he's using his money to broadcast himself yeah. and give himself a prominent position so that people who are against Kim Fox in general go, oh, I'll vote for the Conway guy. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? They may not know anything about him. But so is Fioretti going to come out with some ads? I doubt on it because it, uh, it cost money, 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 money. That should have been my song of the day. Money, right, money, well, money, money, money. Instead there's always of, tomorrow. <laughs> hey, won't you play another somebody? So, yeah, Fioretti, I don't think Fioretti could come out with commercials because he doesn't have the money. So what he's doing is a lot more practical. He's trying to win the old-fashioned way by knocking her off the ballot. And uh, so if he's successful on that front, which I doubt he will be, but if he is, uh, then Conway probably be the front runner because oh, what a bro <laughs> what i need help with this bro thing okay, okay. our friend dragon slayer uh 19 weighed in he said uh a bro is anyone that could be in a frat okay i, I you know i could i could buy that they would but what, what kind of music would a would it would what kind of music would they be playing at a fraternity party in the year chain 20? smokers no way yeah, I would yeah. Be, uh, chain smokers. possibly possibly uh, 
and the Chainsmokers. That brings back memories of my great debate with Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa uh, when I was saying Stevie Wonder, and he was going Chainsmokers. We are all over the map today. All right, and finally, one public event scheduled for our Democratic Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Today, he's at Kennedy King College with Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton to discuss the Justice, Equity, and Opportunity Initiative. All right, very good. And up, oh, uh, Miles Conflassen has entered the building. Miles Conflassen has entered the building. When we come back, we'll ask, ask him what a bro is. Oh, there we go. Let's just keep this confusing <laughs> thing going. All right, it's the Ben Jarofsky Show. Don't go anywhere. We're live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Miles Conflassen is back. We'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Second is what I would call the ethical costs. And the ethical cost is you have, a, as a person who was in the House of Representatives when we tried to pass the Shepard legislation that dealt with hate crimes, putting them on the books, that President Obama then signed into law, to then use those very laws and the principles and values behind the Matthew Shepard hate crimes legislation to self-promote your career is a, is a cost that comes to all the individuals, gay men and women, who will come forward and one day say they were a victim of a hate crime who now will be doubted. People of faith, Muslim or any other religious faith who will be a victim of hate crimes. People that have also of all walks of life and backgrounds, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation. Now this cast a shadow of whether they're telling the truth. And he did this all in the name of self-promotion. And he used the laws of the hate crime legislation that all of us collectively over years have put on the books to stand up to be the values that embody what we believe in. This is a whitewash of justice. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Miles Conflassen from In These Times in the studio just blew my mind with some information that I did not know. Uh, I've been extolling. First of all, Miles, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, and we have Glad so to be here. Which, wait, D, you have an update for me? No. Before I go to Miles? Okay. Uh, Miles, um, when Maya was on the show on Tuesday, she came in raving about uh, Nathan Rob. Miles and I are definitely going to take a deep dive on what's going on uh, with Iran and how uh, Donald John Trump seems determined uh, to whip the country into war frenzy uh, over um, with Iran. Uh, my humble opinion, let's see if Miles disagrees with me, uh, is it's a good way for him uh, to divert attention from his crimes and misdemeanors and impeachment cases. Uh, it's sort of 101 of how presidents do stuff like this. Oh, let's just have a war. That'll distract everyone. Uh, but there was a gentleman, uh, Maya was extolling his virtues, named Nathan Robinson. He's a writer, and he wrote a, a very effective essay in Current Affairs, uh, really analyzing the way prop people are manipulated, minds are manipulated at times of war. And he, he, I don't know if you've read this essay, but he did a great job of like, among other things, breaking down and analyzing the responses uh, to the assassination or, or killing. Assassination is sort of like a legal world uh, of, of the Iranian general uh, by Elizabeth Warren's response. Um, uh, Pete, um, Dennis's favorite candidate, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Love him. <laughs> His response. Just do that to tease Dennis a little bit. And uh, Bernie Sanders. Did you see this? Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, anyway, and then as I don't know, Miles said he uh, knows Nathan Robinson and their friends. They know him. So we're going to bring Nathan Robinson on this show. And 
uh, and have him talk at, at greater length about his theories on this. But I assume you uh, share some of Robinson's theories in general that uh, we're being manipulated by all this. So today there's going to be, uh, there's set to be a House vote on the War Powers Resolution. And this, the reason that this is so important is what we just saw in the past week. I mean, the um, amount of power that is held in the executive branch right now in terms of war making is uncanny and that is not how our constitution has uh, set it up you know we are congress is the only body that is um, constitutionally allowed to declare war and certainly when you take out a general of another country a country that has you know um, tens of millions of people in it you are uh, committing an act of war and that is what the United States did and not only was did Congress not authorize it they weren't even consulted and the consultation that was received uh, just happened yesterday in a briefing that afterwards the response to it of course Democrats were up in arms about it but even Mike Lee of Utah Republican and Rand Paul uh, of Kentucky two senators uh, called it anti-American because of how little information the administration was willing to provide about, you know, they said there was an imminent threat. Just today, uh, Trump said that Soleimani was planning to attack the U.S. embassy. They didn't provide any information, apparently. They said, you know, Lee and Paul said that there was no new information that they couldn't have seen in the newspapers before mm -hmm. um, that uh, was offered in this briefing. So even these consultations aren't even providing any information to the Congress. So that's why having a war powers resolution is so important, because we need to have some oversight over a maniac administration. And uh, so why do you think Donald Trump uh, ordered the killing of the General Soleimani? Well, I think a lot of this goes back to um, uh, the Obama administration and what uh, uh, President Trump perceives as Obama's weakness on international affairs in general and in running the country and the Iran deal, you know, Trump loves a deal. He's always talking about deal making and he's always consistently said um, that the Iran deal is the worst deal, worst deal ever. We need to renegotiate this deal. And um, and so that's been kind of his goal. He pulled out of the Iran deal, of course, um, in May of 2018. Um, but even before that, what I want to you know mention here is that uh, Democrats have kind of been involved in this as well. Back in 2017, there was a bill to increase sanctions on Iran, and uh, 98 senators supported it. The only person that caucuses with the Democrats who voted against it was Bernie Sanders, and it's partially because it also increased sanctions on Russia. And at the time, of course, there was a lot of frenzy about we need to, you know, have take some acts against Russia. But it highly increased sanctions on Iran, which broke. The, the the Iran agreement. So there already was acts taken that would have undone the agreement that Democrats signed off of before Trump officially mm -hmm. pulled out of it. So I think that's important to remember in all of this. But, you know, when Trump did that, I think it was partially just because he's, he wanted to do a redo of the Obama administration the same way he's kind of renegotiating NAFTA mm -hmm. now. So I think that that is one of the main reasons that he pursued this strategy with Iran. Well, what is so confusing to uh, uh, just citizens in this country and try to make sense of all this, Miles, uh, it's hard enough to get people in this country to pay attention to local news that directly affects their pocketbook, literally like with a property tax or a red light camera. It's very hard to get people to pay attention with that stuff. But when you get on international news uh, and it's a bewildering array of names that are hard to pronounce, uh, countries that are distant, you don't even know where they are in many cases. Uh, it's as though it, compounding that is the fact that there's so much quote unquote bipartisanship. Uh, it, it's like j Democrats by and large uh, and Republicans by and large have agreed. I say by and large, there's some notable exceptions. You mentioned Bernie Sanders. Uh, let's think about this in your lifetime, you're in high school. With the invasion of Iraq in 2003, that was uh, passed. You talk about having to give a Congress more power and authority over uh, a president. Uh, when they had the authority and the power with lim in a limited way, they yeah. gave the 
president the green light. There were Democrats who voted for that. Uh, Hillary Clinton voted for that in 2008. When Obama was president, there were drone strikes that uh, killed people throughout the Middle East, uh, and Democrats supported that. So now, all of a sudden... Donald Trump or, orders the uh, the killing, the execution of of an Iranian general by a drone strike, um, and Democrats are outraged. Most people, many people, are saying, "I don't understand this. How do I distinguish one party from another if there's so much they have so much in common in foreign policy?" And we should mention, of course, Joe Biden voted for the Iraq War as well. So. I agree. I mean, this is part of a long-running trend in American politics, that there is the war machine tends to be bipartisan, and that, I think, has a lot to do with uh, the interests that are at play. I mean, there's plenty of Democrats that are trying to appeal towards not just they're not trying to get votes from veterans or military officials. They're just trying to get support from the arms industry. They're trying to not rock the boat. I mean, you saw Jack Reed and um, Adam Schiff both come out with strong statements condemning Soleimani after this before. You know, we th- these people had not been, you know, ringing the war bells before. But as soon as we take out a general from Iran, they're saying, you know, he was a murderous, you know, treacherous terrorist, essentially. These are the same people that voted for Trump's military budget, as we remember at the end of last year. It was a $738 billion uh, uh, military budget. They also voted for the uh, NDAA that, you know, there were two amendments that were incredibly critical to this National Defense Authorization Act. One was put forward by Ro Khanna, um, and that basically um, would have held back funding for a war in Iran, prevent, preventing uh, tying Donald Trump's hands from doing exactly what he's been trying to do in terms of retaliation and escalation. Um, and Barbara Lee put forward uh, amendment that would have rescinded the authorization of the use of military force back from that was put in place after 9-11 um, that would have given Congress more power over um, deciding when to go to war. Both of those amendments were defeated with the help of Democrats. So I think that it's very fair to look at this and say, hey, both parties have been responsible in terms of being part of this large military buildup. And hey, people are sick of it. You know, I think that this is a country that is beleaguered by war. We will, you know, I've lived my whole life basically uh, in wartime. And, you know, people are sick of it. This is not, they haven't, and this is such a lazy march to war. You know, you remember under Bush, at least you had Colin Powell out there making, you know, false statements in, in front of Congress and the UN talking about enriched uranium. And you had Judith Miller, you know, on the pages of the New York Times spreading these lies. I mean, that was all, you know, sick and anti democratic, but at least it showed an administration that was trying to bring the public along with it. This is just Trump deciding. I mean, you know, the reports are that he was given a number of different military options, and this was the most extreme of which they never thought, you know, his advisors never thought he would choose to assassinate Soleimani, and that's the one he picked, because this is the president that, you know, has no history in military affairs and government and anything. He's just trying to kind of make a splash. So I don't want to psychoanalyze Trump, but I think that this is why it's so critical that there is some power over uh, the executive branch when it comes to foreign policy and why it's so critical that we uh, get behind candidates that are adamantly anti-war and speak out and say, hey, it is going to, it's always poor and working class people that suffer the most from war, both soldiers and civilians. It's never the rich, it's never the folks that are you know, beating the drums of war who have to suffer the consequences of it. So I think that those things are important for everybody to remember. Well, I... Um, I believe, I've said this before, that the the main lesson uh, that our leaders took from Vietnam is that we cannot have a draft anymore. Because if we have a draft and absolutely everyone is required uh, to uh, serve in the military and uh, go to war, then it'll be always be a strong dissent. Uh, for military adventures. So what we have to do is go to a voluntary uh, army, a voluntary uh, system of defense. And um, that's the only way that they'll be able to continue to have wars throughout uh, the country. That's my personal belief. I lived through the Vietnam War, the draft. And if just take a look at the amount of resistance, uh, Miles, to the Vietnam War, people in the streets, uh, thousands of thousands of people, people burning their draft cards because people had their life on the line. Fast forward to you, when you were a kid coming out of high school in 2003 or 2004, whenever you came out of Whitney Young uh, and George Bush invaded uh, Iraq. Iraq and had Colin Powell singing all kinds of songs at the, at the United Nations. Yeah. There wasn't that much. Op- there was opposition. 
But there wasn't widespread opposition like we had in Vietnam. Why? In my humble opinion, because this generation was not facing conscription. They were not being forced to go fight the war. Somebody else was going to fight the war. And as long as you can do that, you can get away with a lot of stuff. I agree. But I do think that that's, uh, there still is a draft right now, but it's what we call a poverty draft or a backdoor draft. And this is what, why, you know, you see on, in my high school, we had military uh, recruiters on campus. We, We see that public schools across the country. And that's why there's such a movement to take them off of uh, high schools, because they're especially public schools, and they're especially the poorest schools, the poorest funded schools, where uh, military recruiters target, because they think, you know, these are kids that don't have many opportunities, they don't have jobs or, you know, community programs or, you know, bright futures ahead of them. So, hey, this is the perfect type of, and therefore, they're people with less political power, because they have less money. So they're not the people that are going to have the loudest voice in terms of opposition when it comes to debating issues of war and peace. And that's what we have right now. You know, that's why the military is filled with, as I said, poor and working class people that are trying to get ahead because the military offers some type of, you know, social uh, supports that, you know, they'll pay for education, they'll, uh, you know, pay for health care, they provide things that should be basic social services, um, and they'll provide a career, you know, and, and because there's such a lack and dearth of those options for so many of these communities, that's where we have a draft right now. And it, But you're right in the sense that if it was across the board, there would be a very different response to um, matters of war and peace in this country. Uh, I think that that's a, you know, tragedy. I don't think I'm not, you know, uh, trying to... Uh, promote having an actual draft or conscription, I think that we need to reassess our national priorities. And, you know, we have bases in hundreds of countries across the world. We have the largest military uh, and the largest military budget in the world. And yet we're in and we're at war in you know, multiple countries. And yet we're not, you know, under attack. There's no, you know, existential threat to the United States. It's just a matter of, you know, there's a war machine, there's a military industrial complex that we all know about. And you're right that it's not the first thing on everybody's mind right now, but you remember in 2008 that was the election of uh, Barack Obama was largely around his opposition to the Iraq War because of how deeply that affected people. I mean, 4,500 U.S. soldiers died in that war. I have died. It's still going on. The Ben theory of how Barack Obama got elected president. Here we go. He participated in 2002 as a state senator, not a U.S. senator in a protest uh, in Chicago against the Iraqi war. I think it was 2002. I think that's when it was. Uh, He used that participation as his calling card to lefties in Iowa. And that, I was there in Iowa in 2008 when that went down. I, I know lefties really well. They went with Obama because in their mind, he was the anti-war candidate and they prevailed. In a Democratic caucus in Iowa, lefties had a, a big say. They went with Obama, and then uh, Black America woke up the day after the Iowa caucus and said, oh, my God, a bunch of white people in Iowa voted for Barack Obama, and all of a sudden there was a groundswell. That's my theory of what went down. So you're absolutely correct. And then Barack Obama, remember, he, but he's very caught, very nuanced, the way he said it. I don't know if you were paying attention back in those days, Miles, but he was like, well, it's not that I'm against all wars. I'm against this war. Yeah, stupid very, wars, he said. Stupid wars. It was like, oh, the smart wars, you know. Uh, and so then when, you know, the war continued throughout his entire eight years, Miles? I mean, he didn't get us out of Iraq or Afghanistan. No, and in fact, I mean, the uh, the only reason that there was a, with, uh, you know, a withdrawal at the end was because the Iraqi parliament voted to, uh, because they wouldn't agree to uh, uh, a legislation that would prevent American soldiers from being prosecuted in Iraq. You know, mm-hmm. that's what the U.S. always pushes for because we don't want our soldiers to be, you know, uh, liable for laws in other countries and be, you know, convicted of war crimes or what have you. So, you know, the Iraqi uh, legislature wouldn't agree to that. And that's part of the reason that there was a withdrawal at the end of Obama's. Of course, it wasn't a full withdrawal because we still have troops there. Now the Trump administration is putting out letters saying that we're going to have a full withdrawal. And then, you know, 10 minutes later saying, oh, that was a mistake. We didn't need to, we didn't actually mean to release that. This is foreign policy, you know, by the pantsuit or whatever. This is just, these are people that are so 
unserious about our nation's uh, priorities and that they are willing to, and I think you're probably right in some sense in terms of a distraction from domestic policy that's going on, but more critically, I think that this is just, the, uh, uh, there's no strategic uh, core to what the uh, president is doing right here or his advisors, and you see it in how they're operating. I mean, I, if the, you know, I think it's definitely a positive thing that yet in yesterday's speech, Trump did not announce any, you know, new attacks or all out war. And in fact, he said that he wants NATO to get involved, which NATO, that's a scary proposition. It could, pro, um, you know, proceed in a way that allows American troops to leave Iraq, which I think would be, of course, be the best result from this. Um, but I don't think we should take any comfort in the fact that, you know, we have a president right now who seems to have no idea of how he's planning to operate in terms of foreign policy. No, it is ironic that he bring NATO in. He's bashing NATO left and right. Exactly. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden when he needs them, <laughs> he... Uh, all right, this is what's baffling about it. If I had one complimentary thing to say about Donald John Trump, it was that he seemed to resist the overtures of the warmongers. It just seemed that he had a general reluctance to it. He himself made no pretense that he supported the Vietnam War. He sat out the Vietnam War. I think he had bone spurs. Don't quote me on that. I get his excuse mixed up with Don, Donald Cheney's, okay? Something, I know he had some something wrong with it. I think it was bone spurs. I uh, think Dennis is nodding. Okay, it was bone spurs. So he sat out the Vietnam War, and he did, he's not, like, really apologetic about it. He was like, I was partying at the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, he would denounce uh, foreign uh, Middle Eastern wars, endless wars. Uh, he... And uh, there was a, like this, a sentiment of support among uh, true-believing uh, Trumpsters, uh, like when he would denounce the deep state. He said, part of the reason you can't trust the things they're saying about me is because they made up all that stuff to justify us going into war in Iraq. And that resonates with a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, it, part of it resonates with me. So there's that element of Donald Trump, that anti-war Trump, which is bizarre because then he would just say all kinds of stupid stuff on Twitter that were volatile that I, uh, I kind of like, all right, led me to believe that maybe he would stay out of war. And then he, he takes, he shoots uh, Soleimani. I'm like, does he know what he's doing? Yeah. Well, he's, he, I mean, he said, he said fire and fury all these times. I mean, I don't think that he also appointed John Bolton as national security advisor. I mean, people cheered him for firing him, but I mean, he hired him. This is not somebody I think that has really shown themselves. I mean, he's expressed some, you know, mild opposition to endless war and such, but he's carrying, I mean, drone strikes are continuing, you know, look at the United States involvement in the Yemen war, the Saudi led Yemen war. I didn't war. say it was Daniel Ellsberg. Okay. <laughs> I just said that he, all right, but continue your thought. But so, I mean, this is, I think, all speaks to why we need somebody who is finally going to uh, say that this bipartisan march toward war uh, needs to come to an end. And we need to reassess, as I said, our priorities and, and take some of this massive military budget, redistribute it into programs that are actually going to uh, benefit the people in this country and build, rebuild infrastructure, do all the things that we know, you know, this is what candidates talk about. And this is what voters in Iowa and New Hampshire and Nevada and South Carolina are talking about. They're not right now, you know, their number one concern. Of course, they're watching the news. They're seeing this and scared of, you know, Trump's uh, finger on the trigger. But their number one concern is their them and their family's well-being and being able to have a better future. And the only way to uh, take it take care of those concerns is by actually ramping up our domestic spending and putting money into programs that will help working people. And towards that end, I mean, just today you saw um, in the in Congress, as I mentioned, the House is supposed to vote on this war powers resolution in the Senate. Bernie Sanders introduced a, uh, um, uh, another bill that was kind of a sister bill to it that has 12 co-sponsors, including Chuck Schumer um, and including Elizabeth Warren, former presidential candidates Kamala Harris and uh, Christian Gillibrand are on board with it. 
And basically what this would do is uh, deny the Pentagon any funds for any unauthorized use of military force against Iran. And the the House version of it has 58 co-sponsors. So, I mean, these are very strong Any Republicans? I haven't seen. No, not on either. Well, not yet. I do think that it's it's possible in terms of co-sponsors, it's quite possible that you'd get a Mike Lee or a Rand Paul to support something like this, considering how uh, vociferous they were and, you know, and how angry they were in terms of responding to that briefing yesterday. So we haven't seen them sign on as co-sponsors yet, but it just got introduced um, this morning. So, I mean, this is what we saw. Ro Khanna introduced the House version of it. These, these are the two individuals we saw, Bernie Sanders and Ro Khanna, uh, previously last year get the uh, War Powers Act invoked to stop the Saudi war uh, in, in Yemen, the U.S.'s support for it. The first time in 47 years that that act was actually invoked, of course, Trump vetoed it. That was, I think that was his first veto, or at least one of his first uh, vetoes. But we've seen, you know, the ability of, a, you know, anti-war uh, fervor in Congress to get enough support to, you know, restrict this president's hands. I think that that's the important uh, the goal to achieve this time around as well. Well, uh, in generally in this country, when somebody speaks up against uh, the military, they're bashed as being soft, bashed as being weak, bashed on being too sympathetic, uh, too fill in the blanks, whatever demonic uh, foreign nation is being used to keep the masses in line. Uh, And in 2016, all the realists in the Democratic Party were saying about uh, Bernie Sanders, just wait, if he's the nominee, Trump's going to come at him with pictures of him. Uh, We've talked about this, pictures of him shirtless in the Soviet Union, hanging out with the Sandinistas. Uh, Trump has blown up so many of the conventional wisdom of politics in this country with his behavior, with his tweets. Uh, and so do you think in, in a situation like now where uh, Trump is trying to fire up the country about the threat of Iran, that it, it's, uh, politicians like Bernie Sanders could survive and win political survival, I'm talking about, uh, by denouncing military buildup? By denouncing war, or do you think that old-fashioned impulse to uh, uh, annihilate uh, any uh, peacenik hmm. will take hold? I'll just say that the, when you talk about you know supporting the military or speaking out for the military, there's thirty thousand veterans that are sleeping on the street right now. I mean, Bernie Sanders has been on the uh, Veteran Affairs Committee. He put forward one of the most you know, pivotal pieces of veter- pro-veterans legislation. He actually co-authored with John McCain um, that would provide that has helped to you know boost funding for the VA and provide more support for veterans. But most importantly, I think that this is um, you see that in the de- terms of the Democratic primary, more military families are supporting through donations Bernie Sanders than any other candidate. Uh, he is somebody who has given. It's very clear where he stands. You know, there's no um, equivocating or flip-flopping when it comes to how he has approached these issues throughout his career. He voted against the Iraq War, um, as we said. He's um, voted against the Gulf War as well. He voted, uh, and you know, he's voted consistently to uh, against every one of Donald Trump's military budgets. The only person running for president, the only person in Congress running for president who's done that. Um, that, I think, shows a commitment, and I don't think that it comes from a place, you know, people always say, you know, if you don't support war, you're not supporting the troops. I don't think that that mm-hmm. is, that, that, that really will play out. I think that you're, no doubt what you said about, you know, the RNC and the Republicans and Trump trying to paint uh, Bernie Sanders, if he becomes the nominee, as some type of a foreign. I mean, I just watched this uh, PBS documentary on McCarthy and McCarthyism, all about how you know they painted all these Alger Hiss, all these people as uh, you know uh, subversives and uh, foreign agents. I have no doubt that when it comes to the Sandinistas and Nicaragua or the Soviet Union, they're going to throw it all at him. But you know, look at Donald Trump. I do think showed the limits of those type of attacks. You know, you could you you could throw everything at Donald Trump, and he's kind of Teflon Don because he just 
kept saying what he was saying and saying, oh, don't listen to them. Forget all about that. And Bernie Sanders at least has a you know multi-decade career and record to run on that has been one of consistency and nothing, you know, supporting, uh, you know, a, in Nicaragua, freedom fighters who were resisting and outside, you know, U.S. funded uh, dictatorship. I don't think that that is as much of a liability now as maybe it was in the uh, another era in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s. So I do think that there's, you know, there's less of a liability in terms of uh, Bernie's strong anti-war stance. I'll, I'll take it one step further. Donald Trump has waged political war against, quote unquote, the deep state. He has done more than any politician in my lifetime uh, to undercut the credibility of the CIA and the FBI. And it's bizarre because he's a tough on crime Republican. But like he got up and held a press conference and said he didn't basically he didn't know who he believed, Putin or the FBI in terms of hacking the computers. Yeah. And he's still the the number one favorite of Republicans. Yeah. So I can't think of one lefty in my lifetime. I've known a lot of lefties, Miles, who's done as much to undercut the credibility of the FBI's so CIA. So I think it would be. I look, I've seen Republicans do a lot of hypocritical things in, in, <laughs> in my life, but to having invested so much into denouncing our national intelligence agencies and then turn right around and call uh, Bernie Sanders weak uh, on, you know, on the military would be the height of, like, what? Hypocrisy, yeah, mixed messages. I just don't think. think it would well, be. and I don't think that that's. Um, I think that what we're seeing now, honestly, is less of uh, the Republicans turning on uh, Bernie Sanders. But as we've seen uh, these new polls come out, and we're less than a month away from Iowa, we're starting to see a different faction of you know po- the political sphere starting to turn their ire on Bernie Sanders, and that is uh, folks from the Obama world, the you know centrist, the establishment that are realizing that this is a strong possibility, if not a likelihood, that he is going to win at least uh, one of the early states and could therefore get some real momentum going towards winning the Democratic nomination. Of course, Biden is still the odds-on favorite in a lot of ways. You know, he's leading in national polls. But when you start to look into these early states like Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, as I mentioned before, um, Sanders' chances look pretty high. And as we've seen in the past, as you just laid out about, you know, the, the history with Obama, uh, you know, once you win Iowa, if you do, that can really start to change the dynamics of the race. So we saw a number of things. I mean, Rahm Emanuel, for example, a former, you know, Obama's former chief of staff, of course, our uh, former uh, mayor here came out strong just the, the other day and said, you know, that's going to be a huge liability uh, if we have Bernie Sanders as our nominee because of his stance on Medicare for all, of course, you know, Rom's Wall Street group that he works for is right now profiting off of the very health care system that would uh, be threatened by uh, universal health care system. So I don't think there's much of a surprise there. But I think that the fact that he is coming out like this shows that uh, they're starting to get a little bit more worried. There's also, you know, Daily Beast report that's all about how folks around Obama, you know, a lot of these sources were uh, unquoted, but uh, they're starting to wring their hands. They're they're getting worried. Neera Tandon, the head of Center for American Progress, which is kind of a centrist think tank, she's been very clear in her uh, anti-Bernie Sanders views. She said money doesn't translate to votes, basically. So, this is so to say that, you know, Bernie's five million contributions and $36 million he got in the last quarter doesn't really mean much, kind of mm. basically write that off. And um, another one uh, called Bernie a zombie candidate. Another said he can't beat Trump because uh, he's just too vulnerable. I mean, this is the type of uh, attacks that we have not seen so far, and they're not coming from Republicans, they're coming from fellow Democrats. And I don't think it's surprising or a coincidence that it's happening right now because, you know, they're starting to see the, you know, read the tea leaves and see that Sanders has momentum right now. That's the dynamic and the way that this race has been going over the past few months. And uh, there's a real possibility that a month from now we'll be talking about, you know, the uh, future path towards the nomination for Bernie Sanders. Uh, and I tell you, if this were 2012, uh, being called the zombie candidate would have been pretty uh, hot. Awesome. Zombies were hot yeah, about eight that, years ago. You know what I mean? What happened? Uh, they, I don't know. 
time of Walking it. Dead. Walking uh, Dead went off the air. Ed Maher, my next guest is in the studio, so we're going to take a break and bring him on. Uh, but uh, Miles, I have to tell you, I know I got a feeling we'll be talking about this next week, based on what you said. I don't see uh, a denunciation of healthcare for all as really being <laughs> smart strategy for the Democrats. You might say water it down and say we have to wait before we get healthcare yeah. for all. But pretty much everybody I know, and I know a lot of people, like except for the hardcore, uh, like. I guess call them pro-market people who just hate the thought of the government doing anything. Pretty much everybody I know wants health care. And uh, I just think that's a totally losing strategy for the Democrats just to universally, unilaterally, just denounce health care for all and uh, just... And it's no I surprise this is coming yeah. from Rahm Emanuel, who, as we know, he's you know he's been railing against you. He was the person in the Obama administration who said that Obama shouldn't even do the Affordable Care yeah. Act because it was too much of a liability. So before I go there, I want to give a shout out to uh, some articles, uh, if okay. I can, mm-hmm. at uh, in these times. Check them out. Sarah Lazar, my wonderful coworker, um, has written a couple pieces that you can find on a lot of the things I talked about about this kind of bipartisan wa- march towards war and why we need to be. Um, critical of both parties when it comes to war making. Also, why we need to focus on climate change um, as a, a major issue, not just war making. We also have dueling essays about like the what a Bernie Sanders versus an Elizabeth Warren presidency would look like. Right now, up on the homepage at End These Times, so check those out. Um, and then I'm going to be coming out with a series, kind of looking at looking in detail at some of the billionaires that are involved in uh, running our democracy right now and kind of taking a deep dive into them. So that'll be coming uh, up in a, a couple weeks. So look out for those. A couple those. weeks? Yeah. So not ne- you won't be ready for talk about next week? I then. could probably talk about it next week. Well, we'll, we'll talk about it. All right. I know what we'll be talking about next week. Thank you very much, Miles. Thank uh, you, ben. Ed Maher on deck. We'll bring him on when we return. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. Chicagoland Cremation Options.com. One more time. Chicago Land Cremation Options.com. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter.